Well, I have to warn you, this might not be a very exciting week. Jerome Powell separated out tapering from rate rises last week, and that's got equity markets excited, as if they needed any prompting, really. But everyone else is really on hold to see what the job numbers are going to do next on Friday. So until then, market sentiment is unlikely to change this week, even though COVID cases are still very high in the United States. And it looks like the EU is going to stop non-essential travel from the States as well. And China cracking down on computer addiction. Watch and learn. It's Tuesday, the 31st of August, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, U.S. stocks are rising further today, except for the Dow, which is down a bit. But the Nasdaq is up almost another 1%. The S&P 500 up 0.6% to another new high. Apple and Facebook both up uh, 2% this morning. Bear banks are the ones losing ground. 10-year Treasury yields down two basis points to 1.29%. And oil still on the rise, another 0.8% for Brent crude, nudging 73.50 earlier on. Uh, so much higher than it was in 2020 and actually higher than it was in 2009 when we knew nothing of COVID. Uh, And WTI is also up 0.5%. The US dollar, well, it's up 0.6% on the Swiss franc for for some reason. But on the DXY, it's pretty much where it was this time yesterday. Uh, uh, It's the same for the pound and the euro. Not a lot of activity. The Aussie dollar has lost a quarter percent, though, uh, which has not been echoed by the Kiwi dollar, which is down slightly, but not that much. In Auckland, of course, they're facing at least another two weeks of, of lockdown. So what of today? Here's Tapas Strickland from NAB in Sydney. Uh, those US equities, Tapas, they, uh, despite everything that's going on, they just keep going up. Oh, quite an incredible run for US equities. And I think over the past month, I think uh, today would make its 12th record close for the S&P 500. The S&P 500 at the moment up 0.5%. And really, you'd have to say basking in the glow of what uh, Jay Powell said last Friday uh, in that Mm. uh, really divorcing the kind of talk from tapering away from interest rate rises. And I think for now, that has given the market a degree of confidence that uh, a taper tantrum like we saw back in 2013 uh, won't eventuate. Um, We'll be looking quite closely at what eventuates at the September FOMC meeting because while that division has clearly occurred between tapering and the timing of rate hikes, um, at the June FOMC meeting there was was it seven out of 18 Fed officials who saw the case for a 2022 rate hike? And you'd have to say, just given the flow of economic data since then, um, more would probably be leaning more into that late 2022 camp. So while no doubt there has been a split um, between the the tying of the end of taper and the start of rate hikes, um, it looks like more in the FOMC would probably be leaning more towards seeing some probability of rate hikes in late 2022 at this stage. So, I mean, later rate hikes, uh, which have obviously been driven by concerns about the the speed of recovery, and the markets are seeing that as a good thing. You know, (laughs) rather than looking at the fundamental, which is, well, you know, we've got a lot of people still in hospital. Uh, I mean, the signs that it might be starting to fall in the US, but that people are not traveling in the US. Domestic flights in the first three weeks of August are down a third on where they were before the pandemic. The EU is about to stop travel uh, to the United States because they reckon the infection rate in the US is, is too high. They've certainly agreed to move US from their safe list. That's been, a, that, that's been agreed. 
So, I mean, there's all of these concerns, but it doesn't, uh, you know, the markets don't seem to be freaking out about it. No, they don't. And it's still those two key factors in play there. And yeah. that is vaccines still give you that other side of the pandemic. And all the research continues to provide those vaccines uh, give a fair high degree of protection against severe cases and hospitalizations. And in many countries, it's about boosting that rate of vaccination high. And I think with the FDA having uh, given formal approval to the pfizer BioNTech tech vaccine. Uh, it's allowed many different organizations um, to mull whether to make vaccination compulsory for, for their workers. So there's a lot of hope in the US that those vaccination rates will live further from here. Yeah. And I mean, we're obviously arguing about vaccination rates in Australia as well. And I'm wondering whether Andrew Barr from the ACT who's saying, you know, he wants everyone to stay locked down until they reach 80% vaccination rates. Uh, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe 70% is too little because I'm looking at the figures from the UK now. Uh, where they have 78% vaccinated. But yesterday, 26,500 people tested positive. Uh, on average, for the last seven days, over 100 people have been dying each day. 400 have been admitted to hospital each day. So if you were to divide those numbers by three to reflect you know, the population size in Australia, would, would Australia be happy with that? 35 deaths a day. 130 in hospital. I think not. So, I mean, that's a big concern, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And it's what is starting to happen in Australia at the moment is that started changing the conversation towards living with a virus and acknowledging that there will be uh, some, some deaths as we do start to reopen. Uh, in, New, mm. in New South Wales, at least, it seems like the New South Wales government is preparing for some easing in restrictions once we reach that 70% adult vaccination hurdle. Um, well, as you noted, some other jurisdictions are saying they may not... Um, um, open up until they reach that 80% level. But in terms of exactly when we get there, we get there around the same time. So our modelling suggests we get to 70% full adult vaccination in Australia by October, and then we get to 80% by mid-November. So we should get there relatively soon. Um, and so that should start to see um, some easing in the virus restrictions that we have seen in New South Wales, the ACT, and in Victoria. Um, but relatedly with that, it's uh, different states may have different willingness to open up depending on what vaccination rate or level that they choose. And so there may be a time for a couple of months where um, interstate borders um, may continue to be open, uh, may continue to be closed, even though you've got individual states re reopening after having come out of lockdown. Well, there's only two currencies which have really moved to any uh, overnight. One is the Swiss franc. I'm not quite sure if you've got a theory on that. I've, I was reading that the, the questions as to whether the Swiss National Bank might might intervene to do to try and solve some liquidity issues but uh, the other one more important to us is the Aussie dollar which is uh, which is back down below 73 US cents I mean the trend lately has definitely been downwards uh, and uh, it seems like 73 cents is a uh, you know a, a bit of a, a, a post a signpost isn't it it's difficult to get past uh, but uh, non-farm payrolls, is that going to change that on Friday, perhaps? I'm just wondering what is going to change this this downward direction. Yeah, so uh, I think the reason for why there has been little movement in markets is really just given we have non-farm payrolls on Friday and the linking of the mm. future of US monetary policy to making either substantial progress on the labour market or having achieved maximum employment in terms of rate hikes there. So I can't really see too much movement in markets over the next uh, couple of days ahead of that release. Uh, in terms of the Aussie, that 73 uh, cent level is definitely proving to be a bit of a sticking point there. Uh, and in terms of what would really get the Aussie uh, lifting from here would be more signs of um, virus control in uh, parts of Asia, which would really allow uh, the rest of the world to, to, to recover and allow global growth to, to pick up as well.
We'll get to China's PMI numbers. We'll talk about those in a, in a second because that might have an influence as well, of course. But uh, we get today Australia's current account balance. We get building approvals. Are we going to have enough information at the end of today to have a firmer idea of what uh, Q2 GDP is going to be like? Is it going to be positive or negative? Uh, I think so. And we get Q2 GDP figures on Wednesday and we get the last of the yeah. partials today. Uh, Navi's currently sitting at 0.1% Q and Q, so really close to either being flat or negative here. And we did get a miss on inventories yesterday. And so that that's tilted the risk perhaps a little bit more slightly towards a flat to perhaps negative outcome. And after today, we'll be able to give a fair indication exactly where we are there. But just given how sharply the economy is likely to contract in Q3, uh, what happened in Q2 is really in the revision mirror. Um, the optics, though, will obviously play out through the newspapers. Um, but in terms of what we're looking at, um, we're really looking at how sharp will the contraction be in Q3 and how quickly will we rebound uh, coming out of that as virus restrictions are eased. Yeah, everyone just likes writing about recessions, don't they? But as you say, how important is it really in, in the circumstances we find ourselves in today? Look, the uh, the ANZ business survey is out in New Zealand, so uh, we'll, we'll see what the uh, the lockdown impact uh, has had on on that economy. Uh, definitely, and I think that would be quite important, especially uh, in terms of market pricing for rate hikes uh, there. Um, the RBNZ had noted that if uh, confidence um, measures took a hit, um, then obviously they may need to uh, take that into consideration there. And we did see some hit to consumer confidence. And so we'll be looking quite closely at the ANZ business survey to see whether there has been a hit to business confidence yeah. given the most recent lockdown. And yes, I mentioned the China PMI numbers. I mean, uh, I mean, could that help give the Aussie dollar some direction or do you think, no, it's, everyone's on this holding pattern? But let's talk about what you think those PMI numbers will tell us today anyway. Yeah, so uh, the... China, China PMIs over the past couple of months have been on the softer side and the consensus there also sees another fairly soft print. So looking for manufacturing at 50.2 and non-manufacturing at 52.0 and any miss would continue to heighten those slowdown fears. But um, more encouragingly, it looks like policymakers are taking actions in regards to that. Um, and so there are some moves to loosen up um, some monetary policy, especially amongst um, SMEs and a little bit more on the fiscal side as, as well. So um, in the coming months, um, it's likely that those measures will start to rise and that will provide a little bit more confidence uh, in, in terms of markets there. But uh, today, you'd have to say the risks are probably a smidgen to the downside, just given uh, in um, early August, you did have that Delta outbreak in China, which did see um, some movement restrictions in place. So what do you think they would do if they are on the downside, just to do cut reserve requirements again so that banks are lending to SMEs a bit more? Is that the, th- that the thinking? Uh, yes. Um, the uh, d- the default uh, positions in China in terms of if there's a slowdown has always been uh, loosen up liquidity conditions. So whether that's through a triple R cut or whether through an outright um, interest rate cut uh, and um, uh, create policies to stimulate infrastructure and property investment there. And that's part of the reason why the iron ore prices uh, recovered um, over the past couple of weeks is that kind of uh, notion that uh, the Chinese government may be pulling out the stimulus stops again. And look, I love this. I'm, I'm, I'm behind the Chinese authorities on this one. news <laughs> this morning that under 18s, I don't know whether they're going to push ahead with this, but certainly it's being reported from various different angles. Um, uh, miners basically going to have their, their gaming restricted, their computer games restricted to three hours a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Nothing on school nights uh, and only one hour a day uh, over the weekend and, and on Friday night. Uh, you know, I think they might have the right idea on this, but um, I, I mean, but I mean, there is a concern, isn't there? If you look at this, I, I think the big computer game game companies in the United States aren't too concerned because I don't think they're selling a lot to uh, to China anyway. 
But it's just another sign, isn't it, of uh, greater authoritarianism in, in China and more of a more of a risk for investors. Oh, definitely. And over the past uh, month, there has been a different crackdown in different aspects of uh, Chinese life, especially with uh, the, the the tech sector and in the insurance sector as, as well. Um, and I was just thought it was just interesting looking through the details of that, that um, the government is going to require all online video games to be connected to an anti-addiction system yes. um, operated by the National Press and Publication Administration. So it seems like they're very intent on um, this this being a policy. Yeah, absolutely. It does, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, a big step for the West to move in that direction, that's for sure, uh, even though it might be the thing to do. Look, the uh, the conference board consumer confidence read is out later on tonight uh, or tomorrow morning. We get, uh, the, of course, the Michigan survey showed a big drop in August. So uh, I guess we'll see if that was a localised concern or whether it's a broader concern elsewhere. And another indicator of the direction of the US economy. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. And just uh, to reiterate that fall in the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Index was driven by Delta fears. And so it's possible that those same fears will also see the uh, conference board measure lower as well. Um, also, out is the Chicago PMI. And I think that'll be quite important uh, for the um, ISM Manufacturing Index, which is out on Wednesday. Uh, the consensus for the Chicago PMI is for a dip in activity in line with what we have seen in the other regional uh, Fed surveys. Uh, well, uh, and the Eurozone CPI, uh, Japan's jobless rates and, and, and industrial production for Japan as well. So lots of numbers today, Tapas, but we'll we'll leave it there for now. And great to have uh, Tapas Jr. screaming in the background through the podcast this morning. This is what we do during lockdown, isn't it? <laughs> we'll catch you again soon. Thanks for your time. Uh, cheers. Uh, thanks, Phil. He's got a new train set. That's why he's so excited this morning. His, his son, not Tapas. His son's too. Uh, that's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.